Hey guys, welcome to my podcast. I pray you are empowered to walk in the fullness of your God design. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you. But I'm very excited about this message. Interestingly enough, the first time the spark of this message actually was given at this church. Golly. Um, I, think, I think, Pastor Phil, I've probably preached in your house more than any other house. I'm pretty sure that's true. Um, and so, um, mostly because Gary's like, I have you preach all the time. It's just always in this church. <laughs> And so, um, but yes, and I've, I've had the honor of uh, preaching at Pastor Gary's church when he's been out with <coughs> sicknesses. And, uh, <laughs> and so actually that night when I preached this, you guys were both here. There was a couple of pastors here, and I had just come, ab- come back from Alaska. And Pastor Phil had asked me to preach on the glory of the Lord. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy because I've been studying on the glory of the Lord. And if you remember... That night, I started out by giving you guys a word about the eye chart. And the word I gave you was um, that there was somebody who told me that they went and they worked at an eye, an optic place, and uh, they listened to people read the eye chart so much that when they had to get their eyes exam, they had to get a different chart because they had memorized the art eye chart to the point where if they really couldn't see, because they memorized what it looked like, they wouldn't know they couldn't see. So their brain would fill in the, the gap. And the word that God gave us that night was that there are some things that we are imitating or that we have memorized in the spirit Come on. There are some things that have become tradition. Hey, that kind of stuff, you know. Sometimes it's real. Sometimes it's just that's what I've memorized. That's what I do in the spirit. Whatever it is, there are some things that we've just kind of memorized, and we think we're experiencing the fullness of the spirit, but we're not. And, and I remember giving that word and impressing upon me and going perfectly with what God was impressing upon my heart, which was the importance of going beyond the anointing and into the glory of the Lord. And so when I was, when I was in Alaska, of course, when I went, I went to finish one of my books, and I, of course, like everybody else, Brad was going off. He was actually doing a motorcycle ride through the Denali Mountains, and I was staying in a hotel room by myself for five days, um, during COVID. So I couldn't even go out to a restaurant. I had to have everything dropped off at my door. And so I was literally in this hotel room for five days, and I was expecting an encounter with God. I went with great expectation, a hope that I was going to experience a great encounter with God. I wanted my room to be blown up with fire. I wanted to feel wind blow through when the winds were shut, when the window was shut. I wanted to experience a feeling and an encounter with God. And by the time I got to day four or five, I was a little bummed because I did all the things. You know, I got in all the right positions and put all the right music in and spoke the right tongues and all the things. And I was like, I'm not having any kind of fire, you know? And I was getting really disappointed. And so, but throughout the week, what I started to realize is God started playing in my mind just moments in my life when I had experienced him and started speaking to me affirmations, not about things I had experienced, but about who I was becoming. And by the end, the Lord basically said to me, if I never showed up by fire, would you believe in the power of who I am? Would knowing me, if you never felt me again, if you never experienced something, Would just knowing me be enough for you? And that started me studying what is the glory. And in that moment, I started thinking about um, who I had become and how God had taught me over the years to anchor myself in his character, to anchor myself in his person, not in his ways. Y'all, I was going to say there's probably nobody in this room more, but there's a lot of people in this room who maybe enjoy the anointing more than I do. As far as like, though, yeah, see, I heard a big laughter from over there in the corner. And, um, but I love the anointing. I love, I'm a very emotional, very passionate person anyways, and so I love to feel 
right? I love to feel the fire going up and down your back. I love to feel this rupture of laughter coming out of my belly. Like, I love the feeling of my body getting the shakes. I love the tingles that you get on your body when the anointing begins to be like, I love that. But God was saying to me, but if I took all of that away, what would you be anchored in? Would you be anchored in my character or are you anchored in my ways? Are you anchored in my heart or are you anchored in my hand? And he really began to convict me and so I began this study on containing his character, which is the book that I'm currently writing, which means there's a ton of information that I had to try and narrow down for this weekend. And so the Lord gave me this word, and I'm just going to read nuggets of this word that weekend. And I had gone through this season in 2015, for those of you who don't know, I went through uh, something called adrenal fatigue, uh, where basically your adrenals are failing you, and which is not a good thing, because that's like your reflexes and everything else. And I experienced a lot of um, fatigue, just painful fatigue, and my hair was falling out, and a lot of stress. And um, and so they, they, the, my, the doctors at the time were like, we want you to change up your workout. I used to run six miles a day. I don't run six miles a day anymore. Um, and he, they were like, we don't want you doing any more cardio. It's stressing your body out. Your cortisol can't take it. We want you doing weightlifting. We want you to really get strong. We want you to build muscle. We don't want you doing cardio. And so over the years, uh, my physique changed a lot. So I was 5'9". At one point, I ran six miles a day, and I weighed about 126 pounds. Okay, I weigh about 160 right now, so that just gives you a reference. So I started lifting weights, and lo and behold, my physique started to change, and things that once fit me got a little snuck. And, um, and for the first time in, my, time in my life, I was like, I kind of look better naked than I do in clothes uh, because I have a lot of definition, you know. But when I had clothes on, I was like, I look thick and kind of chunky, and I didn't think I really liked it. I'm just being honest with you guys. Y'all are like, oh, God. Yes, Jesus. So as I was working out in Alaska, I was in the gym and I was lifting weights. The Lord was encouraging me to increase my weights. And I was having this interaction with him that was like, I really don't want to bulk up anymore, God. Like, you know, I'll just use high reps on this low weight, right? Because that's how you stay defined but not bulk. Come on, everybody knows this. So I'm having this conversation. He's like, why would you limit your capacity? Why would you limit how strong you potentially could be? And he spoke this word to me, and I'm not going to read all of it to you, um, but I went back to the room and I wrote it down. And if you remember, when I spoke that night here, I said that the Lord said, this word is bigger than I think it is. And it keeps coming back up and that it's going to be a book and now it's a conference and all these things. And this is what the Lord spoke. Your fear of what you could look like what you would look like with your clothes on has kept you from the potential and your full strength of your nakedness. You have the capacity of great strength and clearer definition, but you have to be willing to outgrow your current garments. Don't let what people see on the outside, the way they perceive you, prevent you from all I want to do in you. Do not fear getting bigger. And he went on and said, I am only concerned with what you look like naked. I'm going to say that again. God is only concerned with what you look like naked. And we live in a world that is telling us to put on all this stuff to look the part. And if if what we're doing in our quiet time, what we're doing when we're naked, is making us look different, with our clothes on, with our, the appearance to people around us, often we allow the garment or the appearance or the perception to then begin to navigate how big we're going to get. And this is what he was saying to me. He said, I'm only concerned with what you look like naked. I see beyond your outer layers, and I desi- desire a stronger and a more defined people. And then the Lord began to speak to me about the church. And how he was bringing uh, a more defined church with more muscles, more internal strength, less fluff. And so this is where the word began to shift. For those of you who don't understand how God works prophetically, for me anyways, this is how he begins to work prophetically. He's speaking to me personally, which is lovely. And then he's like, it's really not about you. <laughs> I mean, you get to reap it too, right? But he was also he was shifting it into talking about the fluff 
and the fatness of the church. But when you take the clothes off and you look inside the church, all I see is fat. I don't see any definition. I don't see any muscle. I don't see any strength. And the capacity of the church has been constrained because we don't want to grow out of our current garments. And that's what he was saying. And we're not, when I say church, y'all don't, don't stare at the pastors in the house. Don't make them do for you what God has given it to you to do. Come on, show up ready to go. Don't make them work so hard. He went and said, shed off your current garments that have gotten too tight. They are restrictive. Don't strive to fit in your clothes. Don't let your current clothes define your size. And it goes on and on talking about how he, so we serve a limitless God, and he wants to do limitless things in our lives. And how this connects to this message is talking about the muscle versus the fluff. And I love, I don't want to diss the anointing, but I want us to get beyond the anointing. I'm going to tell you a little bit, I'm going to teach you a little bit about the anointing so that we can be able to decipher between the anointing and the glory. I think that's very important. But I want us to get, let's be honest, the anointing is the fluff. It's the fun part. It's necessary. They work in tandem. But the anointing comes from, it is birthed out of the person of God. It's birthed out of the glory. And if we're honest with ourselves, we spend a lot of time chasing down the anointing because it's fluffy and it's fun and it's glittery and it's sparkly. But when you're behind closed doors and you're naked standing before the Lord, what does he see? And so I'm going to start by telling you a little bit about, just so we can grasp a little bit. And let me, let me start by saying this. I don't think we're ever going to be able to fully grasp what the glory is to its fullest, to his fullest. Is that fair to say? I'm looking at the pastors in the house. Is that fair to say? As much as I've studied, I still don't get it. For those of you who are here for the Arise Conference, I think I experienced something that might have been close to the glory that nearly took me out. No, I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic when I say that. And, and, and even still, I can't comprehend or quite understand or quite grasp exactly what is the glory. So what we're trying to do, it's just like we can't really grasp a supernatural love, right? Your brain can fly somebody to the moon, but you can't really grasp or describe a supernatural love. You know, all we can do is kind of talk about a frame of reference or talk about an experience, and that's kind of like the glory is. But let's talk about the anointing. What is the anointing? I'm just going to teach you guys here for a few minutes. The anointing means this, to smear, to rub, or to press in. To smear, to rub, or to press in. Now, we use anointing oil a lot of times to uh, basically manifest what the anointing might look like, right? And, and we put anointing oil, we smear it, we rub it, we press it into somebody's forehead. Sometimes when we're wanting to be healed, we're like, yeah, really trying to rub it in there. I've had oil poured over my head multiple times, more times than I'd care to tell you. Sometimes in an airport, I've had people come up and try to put oil over my head, very weird. Uh, but, um, it's a true story, um, but the anointing means to smear, to rub, or to press in. I believe it is the transfer, transfer or the release of God's power into or onto someone. Okay? It is the release or the transfer of God's power into or onto someone. So we've all seen somebody lay hands on somebody, right? And you feel this. The woman, the woman with the issue of blood, she laid hands on Jesus and she felt his power, felt virtue move from his body in towards hers. Okay? So that's what that means. So the people who were anointed in the Old Testament were priests, prophets, and kings. Okay? So I'm just teaching you right now. Priests, prophets, and kings. Why were they anointed? People are anointed to be chosen, appointed, or assigned to be empowered to do, to be furnished, or to be positioned and given authority. So I gave you three things. To be chosen or appointed. So think with me, the first, David was appointed three times. In 1 Samuel 16, he was chosen to ki be king. He was anointed because he was being appointed. 
In 2 Samuel 2, he was to be the king over Judah and Benjamin. So he was being given the power to do. He was being, given, being furnished with the ability to do something. And in 2 Samuel 5, he was, he was anointed to, over the entire whole nation, the whole nation of Israel which is that authority. It means this person is being endorsed by God. Now, I have heard it said that there are three levels of anointing. One is your salvation, two is the Holy Spirit, and three is the authority. Okay, now I've heard it said that. And so this is what the anointing is. The anointing is when um, Clark Kent puts on his cape and all of a sudden he can fly. Okay? So if I, if I took this jacket and I said, this jacket represents the anointing, and it is currently on me, and it's fit, and it's molded around my person, okay? But if I take this jacket off and I throw it on the floor, it in and of itself has no power. The jacket becomes hot when it's on my body. Okay. I'm trying, Brittany. I'm trying. So the anointing is like that. The anointing is always at work, always moving, looking for a person to move through, okay? So the anointing is what we can feel. It is the manifestation of God via the Holy Spirit, okay? So we could say the anointing is a he because he is the manifestation of God via the Holy Spirit, it is the anointing of God that we see or we experience through the gifts, such as speaking in tongues, when we see healing moving in a room, when we see people falling out, when you see people starting to shake. We're seeing evidence of the person of God, which is the glory. As it's moving, you see the, you see the anointing. Let me say it like this. Wind is the glory. You can't see it. You can't grasp it. You can't touch it. But when wind begins to move, we see evidence of it. That's the anointing. Okay? So I'm telling you this because I believe a lot of times we mistake the anointing for the person of God. This goes back to the eye chart. So we are trying to achieve the glory of the Lord. We say things like, let the glory fall down and let's stir up the anointing and see if we can pull on the glory. But the scripture I read says it's actually the opposite. That the glory is the person of God. It is the parent and he births the anointing. Okay? So often we're trying to achieve the glory of God through the anointing. It's important for you to recognize that all throughout scriptures we see places where the anointing is mimicked. We are cheated the real thing. We know the magicians imitated the anointing. They imitated what Pharaoh did. In Exodus 7:11 it says, "But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the mag so also the magicians of Egypt, they came in and did like manner with their own enchantments." And uh, it says in Romans 16, 14, For they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out in the kings of the earth and the whole world and go and gather them to the battle of that great day of the God Almighty. See, what we learn here is you can mimic the anointing. And what I'm hoping to do is for us to realize, because I'm going to take it even a little bit deeper because we're going to be talking about personality and how sometimes we've learned how to mimic the character of God. And we're missing out. We're going to go deep this week. Right? Because God wants us to grow. He wants us to understand his character. We've gotten really, we've, we've become a society, a culture of personality development. How to grow your personality. Learn good leadership skills. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but they are not character. Those are of the soul, not of the spirit. And God says that character, character in the Greek, if you read it, it means, it, it means to be impressed with or to be marked by. It actually uh, denotes the idea of a blueprint. So when it says that Jesus is the exact representation, 
in Hebrews 1.3. He was the exact representation of who God was. That phrase, exact representation, in the Greek is character. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that word here in a minute. But I want you to know that it is easy to mimic the anointing. I fear that there are a lot of people who are probably raised up in a, maybe a very charismatic uh, arena, and they have learned what it looks like to practice the anointing. We've had this conversation because you guys were raised in that, and you're like, man, we've got to get back to the heart and the character of God because we know what all that stuff looks like, but it's not changing my life. I can step into that. I can operate it, but when I go home, I'm still angry with my husband. I can step into that, I can experience it, I can feel the fire, but when I go home, I still have unforgiveness in my heart. And we have to get beyond that because we all know what it looks like. Almost every single person in this room has experienced the anointing because I know almost every single person in the room. But I want us to go beyond this. I want us to be honest with ourselves and allow God to really search us and seek our hearts. Saul was anointed out of man's heart whereas David was anointed out of God's heart. Saul received the same Holy Spirit as David did. But there was one difference between the two of them. And can I just say that from the outer appearance, it seems like David's sin was much graver than Saul's. I'm just going to be honest. But there was one thing that God saw that we didn't see, and that was his heart. There was something about David that was marked that Saul did not have, and it was character. It was character. But they both received the same spirit. But one was appointed and anointed through the popularity of man, and the other one was marked. In fact, the other one wasn't even put in the lineup. What his own father missed, God saw. Come on, I'm going to say that again. Because some of you have some authorities in your life, and they're missing it. They're not seeing your anointing. And you're feeling like you have to press yourself out, show yourself out, but God says you don't have to market the man that's been marked by God. God says, if I've marked you, you don't have to push your way there. I will usher you into the presence of kings and nobles. What your own father misses, God will see. God will find. And God will be like, you missed something. And he will bring you into the lineup. So trust the Lord in that. So why is this relevant to us? Why, why is it so important? Why is it so important that we understand the difference between the glory and the anointing? Well, let's talk about the glory. Glory in the Old Testament, in Habakkuk 2.14, I love this verse because it just says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of what says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. For the whole earth is filled with the, you would think it was going to say, holiness of God. But it doesn't. It says, the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of Lord. So what we begin to learn, even in this verse, is holiness comes out of God. He is holy, but it comes out of a knowing of his glory. Okay, hang with me. In Exodus 33, we all know this renowned story when Moses asked to see the glory of God. After seeing all of his ways, all the miracles, the heart of God, I keep thinking, like, what can you imagine? First of all, y'all, we need to have the unction of Moses. He has you know, this, this burning bush experience, he's like in with God, right? He's going to the tent of meeting, the pillars falling on him. It's, I mean, he's, he's having all kinds, he's throwing the rod down, it's turning into a serpent, he's telling Pharaoh what's up. I mean, he's got, but then he gets to Exodus 33, and there's a part of him that's like, I don't care what I've experienced of God, it ain't enough. And I love that. Because I'm going to be selfish for my fire. I'm telling you, Ashley, if you don't get yours, I'm going to take it. <laughs> and so he's like, I'm, I'm going I'm to, I want more. And we know the story goes, he says, show me your glory. And so I think about that, and I think, why well, haven't you already seen his glory? And God says, no, 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 you've seen my anointing. You've seen my hand. You've seen my ways. You've seen my works. You've seen my signs, and you've seen my miracles, but you still haven't seen me. You still haven't seen me. And so we learn from this when he says, show me your glory, that there's something more. There's something more to be seen. And so he says this in verse 18, then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord says this, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name. 
the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on who I have compassion. But he says this, but you cannot see my face. So what is he saying in this? He's saying, I'm going to pass by you, and I'm going to tell you who I am. And I'm going to begin to proclaim all of my attributes, but you won't see me. You will simply have to know who I am. You will have to know that I am compassion. You will have to know that I am mercy. You will have to know that I am love, even when you don't see me. Because it's easy for me to know God loves me when I'm feeling it. But when I'm not seeing it, I'm not so sure. Come on, I'm just being honest with you. Every day I have to reconcile that. When my circumstances aren't going the way I need them to go, I'm wondering, is God really love in this situation? Is God really good in this situation? Come on, every person in this room has been dealt some difficult times where you haven't seen God. But in the pinnacle of God showing up in the fullness of his glory, Moses didn't see anything. What he came to know to know was who God was. He gained a knowledge of God. It goes on and it says, So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him to, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithless, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness. Now, again, he's declaring, this is who I am. He says, show me your glory. He doesn't see a burning bush. He doesn't feel the fire. He doesn't start speaking in tongues. He doesn't fall out slain. He hears a voice just proclaiming over and over and over again, this is who I am. God proclaiming. He did not show up and act. He did not show up and move. There was no miracle. There was no sign. There was no wonder. There was just words speaking, this is who I am. Do you know it? Do you know who he is? Do you know the attributes of God? Are you pursuing the character of God? This is so important because if we don't know who God is, we will never know who we are. Because we are designed in the exact representation in the person of God. And if we do not know the fullness of his potential, we will never know the fullness of our potential, and we will never fulfill our full purpose here on this earth. And so it's so important, but some of us are more important in growing our gifts. I want to grow in the gift of healing, Pastor Gary. Can you teach me how to heal people? Teach me how to do what you do. Come on, you had people do that. I've had people do that. You've had people do that. Listen, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Go home and read your Bible. Go home and get in your closet. Take your clothes off. Come on, Joel, you've asked me that. I said, how many times do you read your Bible a day? Don't come and talk to me until I know you're in the Word every day. Because I would be doing you a disservice if I teach you how to operate, teach you how to operate in the anointing before you know the glory. Before you understand the character of God. Because what happens is we put the cart before the horse and we learn how to look like we're operating in the anointing, but we miss the character. And here's the real truth. If you're saturated in the glory, you can't stop the anointing. Come on, that's why people fell out when Catherine Kuhlman walked by them. Come on, that's why when Paul's shadow went over people, they re received healing. It wasn't because he would lay hands on them. It's because his countenance was the power of Jesus that he carried. Come on, I'm tired of laying hands on people. I just want to stand in a room and let it happen. I just want to release it out of who we are. I just want you to get who he is. I want the anointing. That's what happened that night in this room. God said, just stand there. I was like, I said to Pastor Gary, I said, I can't go up there right now. Help me, please don't make me go up there. And he said, it's your turn. <laughs> no mercy. No mercy. I crawled up these stairs. Did I not crawl up these stairs? Crawl, army crawled up, army crawled down. Because the anointing was, and the glory, I don't know what it was. I'm telling you, I feel like heaven touched the earth. And I seriously, honestly felt as though the Lord said, can you just stand there and be a portal? And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. Don't, please don't do that again, Lord. 
Uh, I mean, I would, I would let him do it again, but I, I have fingernails a little bit because it was very overwhelming. It was extremely overwhelming. I've never experienced anything like that, and I haven't yet, it, again. I will if God wants me to, but again, I, I say that with fear and trembling, I really do. Um, because there's a lot of really fun, cool things I've experienced in the spirit. This was not that. This was very reverent and very um, fearful. I don't know how to, to I, I don't know how, to, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. So God didn't show up and act and move. So we know the glory, but you feel the anointing. Okay? That's kind of a symbol. You know the glory, but you feel the anointing. This is why this message is so important to me because I think what happens is we are a very emotional society and we're living on a feeling. And we're waiting to feel a particular way to do a particular thing. I love it. Mama Shirley always says, well, Lisa, you know, you don't live by feel, you live by faith. You better stop living by think because God didn't call you to live by think. He called you to live by faith. And we're waiting on a feeling. I'm waiting, till I, I'm waiting till I feel forgiveness, to forgive that person because I want it to be genuine in my heart. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. The Bible says you act on faith and signs follow. Come on, tell your emotions. This is what we're doing. Hey, you know what, heart? Here's what we're doing. The Bible says that God himself is greater than our heart so that our heart will not condemn us. The Bible says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Meaning, I can say, you know what, soul? What's up with you? You know what Paul said? What's up with you, oh my soul? Don't you know that God is good? Come on, lift your weary head. Look up to the heights. Remember who your God is. Remember all that he's done. He is talking to himself. He stands over in the spirit. He looks at his soul and says, what is wrong with you? Don't you know that God said you're supposed to forgive that person? You better get over yourself and forgive that person. Don't wait till you're feeling. We're not called to live on feel. Look, your strongest power isn't how you operate. It's who you are. The last thing I want to be known for is every time she'd laid hands on people, they would fall out. That usually does happen. I don't know why. It sometimes it freaks me out. Definitely freaked me out when it first started happening. Pastor Gary, can know, I was like, what's happening? I'm afraid to touch my dog. <laughs> I was afraid to touch my dog. Turner was like, don't pet the dog. <laughs> I was so nervous about it. I was like, I don't know how to make it stop. There's all this tingling stuff, heaviness. I, might, I don't know what's happening. But I don't want to be known for that. I don't want to be known for that. I want to be known for the way I loved my children. And I want to be known for the way I loved my husband. And I want to be known for the way I loved my friends. And I want to be known for the way I helped the poor, housed the widows and the orphans. I want to be known for who I was when I was naked, not who I was when I was on stage. Come on, give me the field any day. Because David wasn't developed on a platform. He was developed in a field. Moses wasn't developed on a platform. He was developed on a mountaintop all by himself. And that's what I'm after. And that's what we're talking about this weekend. We're talking about, and I, you guys are like, oh, so does that mean you're not going to lay hands on people? Because that's fun. No, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. But I want you to get more than that. All right, so in the New Testament... Jesus, of course, is the person who comes. He becomes the glory of the Lord. So we're talking about the glory of the Lord. I gave you an example in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus is the exact representation. In John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Okay? We beheld his glory. The word, capital W, means it was God. God's Word became flesh, and we got to behold the glory, meaning I got to see it. I got to grasp it. So the best we can do at describing what does the glory look like is looking at the person of Jesus Christ, right? Because the Bible says he came in the fullness of his glory and we beheld it. We were able to, we walked with it. We talked with it. We saw, we saw him in the garden when he prayed alone, when he wept before his father. We didn't just see his miracles. We saw his heart, when we were with him. Come on, what drew people to Jesus? Before he even started doing miracles, something drew people to him. Before he operated in the anointing, something drew people to Jesus. It wasn't the anointing. It was the character of God. He embodied the glory, the character, the person of God. 
That's what it says in John 1.14. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of what grace and truth. I'll never understand that. Grace and truth in one moment. Grace and truth in one moment. So this word doxa here means opinion, judgment, the word glory there is doxa in the Greek. It means opinion, judgment, view, splendor, majesty, excellence, dignity, grace, the most glorious, exalted state. It just goes on and on and on and embraces all of these words of what the glory means. But what it denotes here is the idea of a blueprint. So we beheld the blueprint of who God is wrapped up in a flesh, and his name was Jesus. And all across the Old Testament, they tried to grasp, who is this God? And God said, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to, put, I'm going to bottle myself up in flesh, and I'm going to put my character, I'm going to put my nature in a man, and his name is going to be Jesus. Come on, this is so important. I'm going to teach you some theology, and I hardly ever try to do that. But if you take a look at Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. If you, that is the nature of God. Because some people are like, what does God look like? And I'm like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, right? That's the nature of God. When Jesus was born, he was born with the full nature of God. But what happened at his baptism? Come on, anybody. The Holy Spirit fell on him. So now we see the nature and the character of God the beholding of his glory, and when he got the anointing. Because now, when he's 30, he begins his what? Ministry. And that is when signs, miracles, and wonders began. That is when you began to see the ways of God. But until he was 30, all we saw was the character, the nature, the heart, the person of God. So for those of you who don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're welcome. All right, so we got to behold the glory of Jesus, the glory of God. And he, be, he was Jesus. He showed us what he looked like. It was God's person poured out into his flesh. I told you that, that Hebrew phrase where it says the exact image, he was the exact representation, it means character, which is an engraved mark. Now listen to this. This is fascinating to me. I did not know this when I preached this before. So this is new. Pay attention because this is so exciting. Okay, so in the Greek, it means an engraved mark, a symbol or imprint on the soul, or it was an instrument for marking. Now, the word originally was the name given to a sculptor's tool. So it wasn't that you had character. Character was a tool. This is a character, and you use it to sculpt a sculpture. So it was a tool that was actually used to, to chisel, mold, form, and define something. So this in the Greek, this exact image is this word, meaning God chiseled, formed, defined who he was in the person of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, remember me saying this, character always leaves a mark. You're going to hear me say that all the time because your personality ain't going to mark nobody. You have really good personality ain't going to leave a mark in anybody's life. Character always leaves a mark. And so God marked Jesus with his character, and then what did Jesus do? He marked you and I through his blood with his character. So now we carry the mark of God. By his blood, he chiseled, he formed, he sculpted your soul, my soul, your soul, your soul, with his blood by his character. And we come into the exact representation of who God is. So Jesus left, so Jesus being in the exact image of God, means that he was marked by God, he left a mark in this world, and he leaves a mark in our lives. And I'm going to ask you this. What are you marked by? Because some of us are, are marked by the character of God. It's not what we're known for. We're marked by our anger. We're marked by our bitterness. We're marked by our title. 
Some of us are marked by popularity. We're marked by how many likes we have on Facebook, for God's sake. Some of us, that's what the, those are the marks we're looking for. But God says, I've marked you. I have marked you. And if you would let me, I will cause you to mark the lives around you. Because character leaves a mark. Character leaves a mark. That's what I believe he's saying when he says, so let your light shine among men that they may see your, glory, your good deeds and, and glorify your Father in heaven. Look, because you'll begin to act in my ways out of my glory, and you will leave a mark in this world. You will leave a mark. So today, you and I are the glory, and session three tomorrow is going to be all about how do I increase that glory. Okay, cool, what do I do with that? Right, because I don't want you to leave here going like, that's a really cool concept, but I have no idea what to do with it. Like, we're going to talk about really practical ways. How do I increase the glory in my life so that I can flow in the anointing? I don't want to teach you the anointing this weekend. I want to teach you how to get fat with his character, how to grow in character, how to grow in the glory, how to increase your capacity, right? Because if your capacity is this big, that's the, the capacity in which you're going to flow. We want to increase our glory capacity so that we become a more powerful church. We don't want to focus on how do I become a more powerful church so that I can grow in the glory. And I think sometimes we get it backwards. We're going to be focusing on the character in the glory of the Lord. Our life should represent God. We should be the very reflection of who he is. That was God's original intent, is that we would reflect his glory. We were created in his image. You and I are the intersection between heaven and earth. We are where they collide. And we are to be that place where heaven and earth collide, where the supernatural collides with the natural. So let's talk for a moment about the glory versus the anointing. How many of you have read my books, Enforcing You and Enforcing Purpose? Enforcing you is the glory. Enforcing purpose is the anointing. That's why enforcing you came first. Enforcing you is talking about how do I enforce who I'm called to be, my design, my character. Enforcing purpose then should come up out of who you've become. So I tell people a lot of times I had a, a student that texted me. She was like, how do I pursue the throne room of God? I said, just sit and be still and be quiet. Well, well, what if nothing happens? And I said, it's not about what's happening. It's about who you're becoming. See, because we're always looking for something to happen. Yay! My earth rumbled under my feet. And we've made our walk with God all about what's happening in my life instead of just who I'm becoming. And somebody was like, man, I'm really trying to discover my purpose. And I'm like, look, your purpose isn't about a destiny. It's about who you're becoming. Come on, say that again, because some people are like, what? As a life coach, I'm going to tell you, your destiny isn't a final destination. Your destiny is a journey. It's about who you're becoming. It's not about where you're going or what you're going to be doing. It's about who you are while you're doing and what you're, you're doing. Because you can be doing all the right things and, and fulfilling your purpose, but if you're not who you're supposed to be, come on, Amy, this goes back to... What path should I pick? And I'm like, Amy, God doesn't bless paths. He blesses people. So pick a path, and if you are who you're supposed to be on the path, the path will be blessed. Because angels of goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And so we've overcomplicated it because of all our really good books, our really good personality development, how to deliver my prophecy, how to discover my purpose, and how to grow in the prophecy, and how to blah, 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 blah. Y'all, let's just break it down and keep it simple. Just pursue his character. Change here. Stop focusing on who you are at work, who you are with this person, who you are in the public, who you are on the platform, and start thinking about what you look like naked. Come on, it's time for us to start focusing on what we look like naked. So we feel the anointing. It's the manifestation. I talked about that. Uh, we, I talked about the wind. Look at this. God, you're good. Just like the wind impresses trees to blow and move in a particular direction. Come on. Just like the wind. Remember I said the wind is like the glory. Okay? So the wind impresses how the wind blows and how it's going to move trees. So also the glory should impress us to flow in the anointing, to flow in the movement of the Spirit. This goes back to that passage that says the Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So sometimes when people are like, well, the Spirit made me do it. And I'm like, no, the Spirit would never cause you to flow outside the authority of your church. 
Because character is, I honor authority. Anointing is, I don't care, I just want to feel the... So sometimes people ask me, like, how do you... Is that hard for you to preach, like, in a Baptist arena? I'm like, no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Well, what happens if the anointing stirs up? I said it doesn't, and if it does, I remind myself that I have no authority to practice in that manner. And God will honor my submission to authority more than he will honor that I can speak in tongues. Come on. It's easy. It's honoring people. That's character. That's character. Do I enjoy it? Not as much. (laughs) But can I do it? Absolutely. Okay, because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, meaning the anointing should be harnessed by our character. You follow that? A lot of us, our anointing is too big for our character right now. And you're wondering why God won't put you in places. And it's because your character ain't ready yet. That's why the Israelites took 40 years to get into the promised land. They weren't ready. We're not ready. We're not ready. Now, some of you in here are ready, and you've been ready, and you just waiting on, and you think you're waiting on God, and he's waiting on you, but that's all another story. So the glory starts in the spirit of a man, and it flows through the soul. Okay, so the glory starts in the, starts in the spirit of a man, and it flows through your soul. The anointing is what we experience in our soul and in our body. You understand we're three-part beings, spirit, soul, and body. So we experience, so I carry the glory of the Lord, and when it begins to move or I begin to operate in the glory, it flows through my soul and through my body and looks like the anointing. You follow? Okay, so it's important that we remember that because if we want to flow in a spiritual anointing, and I'm going to start using that verbiage. Like I've seen anointings that aren't spiritual. I love that you guys get all my jokes. (laughs) I've seen anointings. I'm like, that ain't real. You know, I don't, I don't, it's not because I don't feel anything. It's because I know that person. And I know what's going on behind the scenes. That ain't real. That ain't real. And we've learned how to mimic it. And a lot of times we can muster up in our soul and our flesh. This is what the anointing looks like. And right now I'm supposed to shake. And I'm supposed to, you know, whatever. You know, I'm not making fun of it, but I have to talk about it to expose that some of us have been doing it. I want the real deal. I don't want the imitation. I don't want imitation crab when I can get the real deal. I I want the real deal. And some of us don't know what we don't know. There might be places in my life, I was telling them, I was like, let's keep it real. Let's think about our personality. Let's think about things I've learned to to temper. Sometimes when I sit with a client in my head, I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus, please have them shut up. Why are they still crying? And I have learned not to say that verbally. But you know what? In the spirit, I can do better than that. And sometimes my justifying and saying, well, I've learned how to control that, I temper that, I don't say that out loud, keeps me from experiencing the real deal. Where I can really genuinely get to a place where I have compassion in that moment. I know how to respond compassionately. Look, half my clients in here are like, oh my God, has she done that to me before? <laughs> Probably. So, I'm just saying. But I'm getting to a place in my life where I'm starting, like, you know, I'm talking about the anointing and how we flow this. Now I'm also thinking about places in my soul that I've learned how to mimic and I've learned how to harness what it would look like for me to respond compassionately or what it looks like for me to choose to forgive somebody. And that's better than nothing. But if that's all I'm going to settle for and that's all I'm ever going to get, I think I'm missing something. Because I, I think the Spirit can do better than that. I think the Spirit could really bring me to a place where I'm grievous when I carry unforgiveness and I can't sleep at night and my heart is broken because I have bitterness and I don't understand why I can't bring myself to walk in the compassion of the kingdom in this place. The Spirit can do that. But if I constantly just settle for, well, I'll choose to forgive you. I'm missing out on the real deal. So I'm not just talking about ways we imitate the actual anointing. I'm talking about ways we imitate God's character in our soul because we, we know how not to act a fool. Why well, don't I have to teach myself, talk myself through not acting like a fool? I really just don't want to act a fool. I, I really want to weep when people weep. I want to feel the compassion of the kingdom. I don't want to have to fake it until I make it. 
And so we can do better than that. The Spirit can do better than that. So I talked about Saul and David and how David was chosen because of his character. He was a man after God's own heart. Saul had the appearance of being a king. He looked the part, but he lacked the character. Look, he was all fluff and no muscles. He looked the part. He was tall. He was handsome. He, he had stout shoulders. David, he was a short, ruddy man. He did not look the part. He did not look the part. But the reason why he was chosen is he was marked by God because of his character. Remember the Bible says that God is more, he desires the worshiper more than he desires the worship. I'm going to say that again. And let me just make this real for a moment. I love that you guys practice. I love that you practiced week after week and you, you grow your skills in worshiping. But if you aren't spending as much time grooming your character, your worship will never come to the capacity that God has in mind for you. I love you enough, I'm going to say that to you. And we've had this conversation. And it's easy for people who operate in anointings of worship, which clearly they do, to get wrapped up in the feeling day after day. That's why we go from event to event to event, because we don't like the feeling of when the anointing leaves us. And we can't stand to be in our own skin because our character ain't there. I've told these guys, like, one of the worst parts for me when I do a conference is when I'm ministering to people, and at some point, about an hour, hour and a half, two hours, I kind of feel the anointing lift. And I have to battle that mentally and emotionally because I don't like the way it feels. And so I've had to learn to hear God say, is, is my heart and my character not enough for you right now? That you have to feel the anointing? And I've had to learn to settle in that. Because it doesn't always say, you know what I'm talking about, Pastor. You feel the anointing, you know what I mean? And, but you walk in the character. And at some point, the character of God has to become the reward that we live in. And we're not chasing down the anointing. We're chasing down the glory. We're not chasing down the feeling. We're chasing down the knowledge. We're not, growing, we're not looking to grow our anointing. We're looking to grow our hearts. We're looking to grow our character. It's not about who we're becoming. It's not about how we're operating. It's not about who's looking at us. It's not about what's popular. It's about who we are when we're naked. That's what it means to contain his character. It means I want to contain more and more of the glory of the Lord, more and more of his person inside of me. In Acts chapter 3, the man was looking for alms. What he was saying is, day after day, I just need a touch from God. And when Peter and John came by, they said, we don't want to give you a touch from God. We want to give you a touch of God. We don't want to give you silver and gold. We don't want to give you just what you need to get through another day. We want to give you a person. We don't want to lay hands on you and heal you. We want to introduce you to a person. Because they saw that this man was living day after day, chasing down just another good feeling, just another good thing, just get me through another day. Come on, that's why we go to church every Sunday, because we are totally... Help me, Lord. See, that's that moment. That's that. I can do better than that. The Spirit can do better than that. I'm just going to say it. We're lazy. We're lazy. I'm... Pastor Gary, can you feed me, please? And then when I don't feel fed, I leave the church. See, that's why you guys like me, because I can say what you can't say. You can pay me later. You can pay me later. And uh, so we go to the church, and we're like, I need you to feed me. Come on, hit me. You got a word for me? You got a word for me, Pastor Gary? Got a word for me? I need another word. I just gave you a word last week. Uh, yeah, but I need another word. Because that word only felt good for about a day, and then it wore off. Because we're settling in the anointing and not the glory. We're looking for the hand of God and not the heart of God. If you want to live hand to hand, go ahead. I'm after the heart. Because the more we go after the heart, the more the hand will pour out. Pour out on you, pour out out of you. The more you are marked by God, the more you will mark people around you. If you guys want to come back up, I'm almost done. Or I'll just keep going unless you... <laughs> 
But that man in Acts chapter 3 was just looking for alms. Listen, I said earlier that I believe that the anointing is simply a transfer of God's power. All ministry is just a movement of his presence. Come on, can we say that? Can we say that? All ministry, when we minister to somebody, it's just a movement of his presence. I love any more. I got to minister to probably three or four people today, and my office didn't lay a hand on either one, any of them, not one. And they all experienced a move of God. I didn't lay a hand on any one of them. All I did was I invited the person of God in, his character, his message to begin to interrupt their message. And they all, every single one of them, all four of them experienced a move. I didn't lay hands on any of them because I'm bored with the anointing. Can I say that? I love the anointing, but I'm after the glory. I want to chase down the glory, the person, the character of God. So if you guys would just stand with me, please. Listen, Jesus was filled with the character and the nature of God. But it was when the Spirit came upon him that began to flow in power and the anointing of God. But if he would have flowed in the anointing of God without the character, it would have been very dangerous. Because everything that Jesus did was compelled by what? It was compelled by love. And looking into the Father and feeling the compassion of the kingdom, he healed the man. He fed the multitude. Every time he moved, every time he operated in the anointing, you can go ahead and play, every time he operated in the anointing, it was compelled by the character of God. And a lot of us, I'm just going gonna, gonna to say this, I was, I was raised in nothing, actually. I was raised Catholic, but... I didn't know Jesus. I got saved when I was 18, and I immediately went into the Baptist church, and I began studying the Word. I loved the Word. I've always loved the Word. I, I find it amazing, enamoring. I, it's just, just this blows my mind every time I read it. But I didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit until, I don't know, Pastor Gary came out. He was part of my story. Um, I didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit probably till I was 37, 38, 39. I'm 49 right now. And so it's been probably about 11 or 12 years since I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had a lot of knowledge. I had a lot of knowledge about the Word says, but I had no power. I, I struggled with clinical depression. I struggled with panic anxiety attacks. I struggled deeply with rejection. Deeply. And, and I knew all the right answers. I knew all the right scriptures. I mean, I could tell myself all the right things. And at some point, I came to a place where I could manage my depression. And I could manage my anxiety. And I could manage the rejection and talk myself through all those things. But there was a day when the Spirit began to ask me this question. And he said, Paul's words, his teaching, didn't come with wise and persuasive words. It came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Where's the demonstration of my power in your life? Listen, this was after I started Crazy Eight Ministries. You talk about rocking my world. Because I was like, well, we're going to change things now? Because I already done wrote my bylaws. And God said, yeah, we got some work to do. Because if you're going to go down this path, you're going to get your butt kicked if you don't understand the power. You have all the knowledge in the world. But if you don't have the anointing, all you have is knowledge and you have no power. If all you do is operate in the anointing, you have power, but you have, you're a loose cannon. Come on, we've experienced those people in the church. You are a loose cannon, right? And so you've got to have both of them. So I, I want to be super in, intentional to tell you because I'm teaching on the glory. I don't want to disregard the anointing. I want you to know we need to have both. But because we typically see, experience, focus on, chase down the anointing, I think it's time for the church to go back and take our clothes off and say, man, I'm after some muscle. I'm after some character in my life. So if you would for me, if you'd just close your eyes for a moment. This is where the fun part comes. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord is, is a lamp and it searches the inmost being. So if you would for me, I'm just going to kind of work a little bit of inner healing here. and just. If you would, just kind of get a visual. 
just partner with the Lord with your mind's eye. Allow, your, allow the, the Spirit to manifest a lamp in your mind. Whatever that lamp looks like, let Him show you. For some of you, it might be a little candle. For some of you, it might be an oil lantern. For some of you, it might be the lamp that's in your living room. I don't know. I don't care. But I want you to allow Him to manifest that in your mind. And when the psalmist said, seek me and search me, see if there be any wicked way in me. What he was saying is, is allow that lamp to move back and forth. Come on, this is time for you to be serious with God. And just let him begin to look in your heart. Let him discover places where you're angry, places where you're fearful, places where you're bitter, places where you're less than joyful places where you have doubt, insecurities. And when the Holy Spirit points out one or two or three, whatever it is, I want you to allow him to really press into that spot. Come on, let it hurt a little bit. Let it, let's get uncomfortable. Let it hurt a little bit. If he begins to show you something, would you just partner with him and come into an agreement? God, this is the place where character needs to be adjusted in my life. If you hold a grudge, you know the Bible says that love keeps no record of wrongs. If you don't believe the best in people, you struggle with paranoia. Everybody's guilty until they prove themselves innocent. Come on, I'm just keeping it real. That's not believing the best. I don't think that person's really going to end up doing what they said they were going to do, really, because love always hopes. Oh, I'm going to keep it to the little, little things that we try and think is not a big deal. This is character. This is character. And I want you to just let the Holy Spirit really begin to illuminate that. And I want you to have a conversation with the Lord right there in that spot. Just confess to him, God, this spot, I see it. I see it. This is what James is talking about when he says, let your laughter turn into mourning and your joy into gloom. It's that moment when you see it the way God sees it, when you feel the repentance of the kingdom moving inside of you. So now real quick in that place, just as quick as confessing, repenting, and receiving. I'm just going to walk you through it. God, I confess that in this spot, I have not whatever. I agree with you, God. I can do better than that in the Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, I receive that attribute from you right now. Come on, super simple. Just receive it. Just relax and receive it. I receive that in my heart. I receive the joy in my today. I receive the grace of God. I receive your love. Just receive it. Nobody touching you. Nobody touching you. Just let the Holy Spirit just begin to move in you. I receive it. I receive it. This is what we call the divine exchange when we're exchanging my bitterness for his grace. Super easy. Just let the spirit do it. Let him have his way with you. Make it hurt, Lord. It's so good. We thank you that you're shifting things on the inside out. From the inside out. We're cleaning up the inside of the cup this weekend. Cleaning up the inside of the cup. Inside. Taking all of our clothes off. Letting them see. Is there definition in your character? Can I see the kingdom in your character? Can I see Jesus in your character? Can I tell you've been marked by the kingdom? Not marked by your wounds marked by your trauma, not marked by your fear, not marked by your failures, come on, not marked by that man that left you, not marked by your mistakes, not marked by your mama, not marked by your daddy, 
Come on, not marked by your genetics. I'm going to be marked with the kingdom. Come on now, I want you now, right now, I want you to feel the impression beginning to impress in your heart. Come on now. In the New Testament, that character word also means to impress as in a seal. So the king's signet ring would impress. I want you to feel. Come on, ask the Holy Spirit to just manifest that now. Now I'm calling the anointing to begin to manifest in the room. That you'll just begin to feel the impression of his character being pressed into your character. Come on. Let his character press into your character. Come on, let his character press into your character. Let's let it happen. Let it happen. That's simple. Come on, you don't have to work so hard. You don't have to work so hard. The yoke of the Lord is easy. His burden is light. If you feel some pressure on your inside, like the Lord is impressing on you, if you would just on faith, just raise your hand up in the room. There people all over the room just feeling the impression. I think that's what the weightiness of the Shekinah glory is. It's like him impressing his person into me. When I fall out and I feel the heaviness and the weightiness of his glory, I just think in my head, you're molding me by your mold right now. I'm being shifted, impressed by your person. you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to click subscribe so you can catch each episode every month. I want you to walk in your fullness. For more information about other services and resources, head to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. You can also find me on YouTube by searching Lisa Schwartz LLC. I look forward to connecting with you. Remember, enforcing purpose, it starts with you.